Welcome to Conversations, the Tear Fund in Northern Ireland podcast, connecting global voices to local issues. It's an absolute privilege to be back with my colleague and co-host, Gemma Brown. How are you, Gemma? I'm doing great, thank you. Chris, we were both actually on the North Coast over the weekend, so we're just back in, feeling refreshed and having enjoyed some sea air. What was the highlight of your weekend? Well, firstly, I'm disappointed that I didn't bump into you. I know. As we were about, because as you walk around the North Coast, there's always that, <laughs> who am I going to meet today? I know. Who am I going to see at the beach? <laughs> I'm just thinking we've only actually seen each other once in the context of Tear Fund since, since you started, isn't that right? One time? That's right, I know. Shocking. Yeah, I know. Uh, highlight was, um, I mean, when you're at the North Coast, for me, you don't eat much in the way of healthy <laughs> food. It's a lot of chippies, a lot of cream. <laughs> A lot of Portuguese tarts. Oh and, yes, uh, that sort of banter. Yeah. So uh, that was just the the eating the eatery game really pushes through the roof, and then you come <laughs> home you you pay for it in uh, in eating healthy for a wee while after that. But so you're enjoy. on vegetable soup for this week then, are you? <laughs> Well, we, took our, we took our three-year-old to beach school in Port Ballantrae for the first time. And one of the tasks that they were given was to take a tray out to sea and collect interesting objects. And so obviously, being our son, he found an entire a whole crab, which was dead, but it was a whole crab, and um, glued it just smack bang onto a little collage. So the other kids had found like little pretty shells to make into like shapes of pumpkins or apples or whatever. And um, we just came home with just an entire dead crab on a on a paper plate which was lovely so um, we all had a ball I like that can I tell a separate story that's unrelated please do so on the theme of dead animals uh, <laughs> we, have, we have a cat and our neighbour was you know feeding the cat first as we were away uh-huh. and um, he sent a picture on, on the Saturday I think uh, of uh, of a rat that <gasps> the cat the cat had caught and left no. for us Yep. Oh dear. So did the, was the neighbour very kind and did they dispose of the rat themselves? They didn't leave it for you to come back to? Uh, they they were petrified of it, so I had to call <laughs> another neighbour to come round. <laughs> and uh, bless her, the, the couple, the wife, uh, cleaned it, disinfected oh, wow. the floor, and the guy picked it up. And um, occasionally the cat would bring in a wee mouse and play with it or a wee bird or something. But this, I kid you not, was a, was a full rat, as the biggest rat I've ever seen. Oh man alive, that's terrible. I think there's a real risk in leaving pets with neighbours. Like I, I'm still probably quite traumatised. I think it was eight when I left a hamster with a neighbour and then the hamster died over summer before we got back. And I still think about it. Like I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, a, it's a trust, it's a trust exercise leaving a, a pet with a neighbour. Yeah, I take it as a, as a sign of affection. The cat missed us. It's yes. a little love gift for yes. us on our return. It was sitting just on the front mat on the front wow. side and the front door, just ready okay. for us to arrive. So. so quite carefully placed as well. I mean, that's impressive yeah. from the cat. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, <laughs> today, we this is actually our final episode, Chris, and we are interviewing our CEO, Nigel Harris, um, which is actually such a privilege. We weren't expecting when we set out and, and kind of contacted different people to, to get someone like Nigel. So we're really, really excited to hear him. So in case you're new to the podcast and this is your first episode, what an episode to join in on for starters. You can catch up on a whole back catalogue of episodes from series one uh, and if you are new here's a little reminder of what the heart is behind the podcast conversations is a podcast series that connects global voices to local issues in these episodes we share the wisdom and ideas of voices from around the world and connect them with the things that matter 
to our church communities here in Northern Ireland. We believe that the local church plays a unique and vital role in establishing God's kingdom around the world. We love it in all its shapes and sizes and understand that Tierfan has a special role in equipping and encouraging the local church. We believe that the global church is a wonderful family with a vast wealth of wisdom and experience from those living faithful lives where God has placed them. When we only listen to voices like our own with experiences like our own, we lose out. Churches in Northern Ireland can learn a lot when we listen to our brothers and sisters from around the world. We believe that the COVID-19 pandemic has had a seismic impact on our nation and on our church. If we as Christians and as leaders can listen with courage and respond with wisdom, we will see a church revitalized in its hope and renewed in its calling. And we'll see our land transformed in the name and power of Jesus. In each episode, we will invite you to listen in as we speak with a voice from the global church, knowing that what we hear won't just encourage us, but can inform our practice and impact our mission here at home. Oh, and since we're in Northern Ireland, we'll not take ourselves too seriously and we'll be sure to bring a little bit of banter along the way. Tear Fund is a Christian charity that partners with churches in more than 50 of the world's poorest countries. We tackle poverty through sustainable development, responding to disasters and challenging injustice. We believe an end to extreme poverty is possible. Visit tearfund.org to find out more. The interview you're about to hear with Nigel Harris was recorded prior to the outbreak of conflict in Ukraine. So while you won't hear Ukraine mentioned, you'll understand that lots of the global issues we discuss have been impacted by the conflict. Long-term work has got more difficult and more expensive, and ongoing emergency situations have potentially been made worse. We hope that you enjoy the interview. So today we are delighted to be joined by our CEO, Nigel Harris, who became Tier Fund's Chief Executive in November 2015. Uh, previously, he was Chief Exec at, at Farm Africa, a rural development NGO focused on East Africa. Before that, he was Chief of Staff at Save the Children UK. And Nigel is married to Teresa. They have two children. And he is an active member of St. Michael's Church in Southfields in London. So Nigel, to get us started, are you up for some quick fire questions? Yeah, great to be here, Gemma. Shoot, let's go for it. Okay, coffee or tea? Uh, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon, I think. Good answer. Working from home or working from the office? Uh, both, but I've loved being back in the office these last uh -huh. few weeks. Um, yeah. So yeah, a mix, but yeah, office is great, I think. Yeah. Uh, movies or box sets? Ah, uh, difficult one. I reckon box sets, although I did actually go to the cinema for the first time in many months uh, this oh, week. Yes, lovely. And then what is the last book you finished? Ah, oh, good question. I think it's, I think the last proper book I finished is probably um, Hilary Mantle's The Mirror and the Light. Mm. So her big sort of Thomas Cromwell trilogy. Yes. Um, I mean, awesome. I mean, just brilliant. It's a certain style and you've got to get a bit used to the style, but I've loved them. I mean, so interesting on power and how power works. And yeah, yeah gosh, complicated times, weren't they? Wow. Yeah. Oh, fab. I love that. Thank you so much. Amazing. I think we maybe need a separate episode on Tear Fund Movie <laughs> Review Podcast. Um, but Nigel, moving on, um, give us, it's just wonderful to have you, give us a whirlwind tour uh, of, of a bit of a story of your faith. Um, and if you can weave into that, I guess, your leadership, how did you end up being part of the team, leading the team here in Tear Fund? Yeah, wow. Um, how long have you got? So I grew up in a church going home. Um, so always, I, I, I never look back at a time when I 
didn't believe in God. But I think a turning point for us as a family, I've got two older sisters, both of them went away to university, both of them got involved in very sort of full-on Christian unions. Both of them came back saying, it's all about a personal relationship with Jesus. God, I have this. And there were some very interesting conversations around the dinner table uh, with my parents and with, uh, with them. And I was sort of, you know, growing up and watching that and, 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 and joining into that. So that was really part of my development. I made a, a commitment to Jesus when I was in my teens. Um, and that has just been a wonderful and extraordinary walk ever since. Um, when I left university as a Christian, I really wanted to see what my faith would be like out there, really, rather than uh, and out particularly in the sort of commercial world. So I actually went into banking, uh, investment banking, worked in, in the city of London, and I did 12 years there, never feeling that was what I was called to longer term, but feeling that I had, for some reason, been called there in the short term, hopefully to be a bit of a witness, but also to learn. But felt uh, when I got into my 30s, that I was being called out of that um, and into the charity sector, into the nonprofit sector. Therefore, I went to work in a really interesting little startup, which had a, quite a few sort of ex-banker type people in it. And we basically, uh, the guys who put it together, the idea was, could you bring some of the sort of researchy analytics type of thing that people do in the commercial sector on, on you know, should companies... Should you invest in companies? Once you've took that kind of attitude to charities, what does success look like? How do you measure impact? How do you sort of, do you do cost-benefit analysis? All of this stuff. Great fun, really, really interesting. Um, and I did that for about six years. I was their second chief executive. So that was my first sort of big leadership role. And then very oddly, I really felt, again, a second call. In some ways, this was more curious than the first because it really wasn't expected. That God was saying in some ways you should go into international development. And I was really bizarre because I was like approaching 40. I mean, most of the guys who work in the space have been in it for their, you know, the guys I work with now at Tier Fund and wonderful people who spent their lives and given their whole lives to this space. So, you know, funny time to, to, to felt called to that, but it seemed to be quite an insistent call. So I sort of quit and stepped down as chief executive. I didn't formally have a job to go to at the stage. That was a bit scary. Um, and I spent a few months then uh, as a consultant doing some work for what was then the Department for International Development, tragically is no longer existing. I was then asked to go and join Save the Children, um, where I worked for two years, uh, originally as chief of staff to the then chief executive, and then I did an him chief exec role. And then I was asked, as you said in that very generous introduction, to go and lead uh, this wonderful um, secular, again, all of these roles were secular, um, agency called Farm Africa doing long-term development work in East Africa, very focused, very specialized, um, Kenya, Tanzania, South Sudan, Uganda, and most of all Ethiopia. So went in and out of those countries all the time, doing a lot of work with local communities, things like productivity, access to markets. Um, and then I'd always been a tier fund supporter. My parents are tier fund supporters, bless them, they still are. So they still get letters from me and they say, isn't it great you sign all these letters by hand? And we don't go into things like mail merge. I go, yeah, it takes me a while, but we do all of that. And, and so, you know, I knew Tier Fund. I, I've been a Tier Fund supporter. I've been a Tier Fund donor, but I never thought I'd be here in this role. So that's sort of God's sense of humor, really. And when I was doing the interview um, for the role and we sat round, and so I was being interviewed by five trustees, would you believe, five trustees and me? Um, and they looked at this rather messy history that I've just given you. And they said, well, interesting, walk us through why that's sort of relevant. And it was a very surreal experience because as I went through, I mean, clearly at one level, I planned for that question, but another level, as I went through it, you thought, gosh, that's how it all works. 
So all the banking stuff, that was all finance and risk. And gosh, there's a lot of risk management in what we do here at TF Fund. And then the, that little think tank I told you about, that was all impact and how you measure impact. Again, incredibly relevant for this. Um, really helpful with the Diffid stuff. Save the Children, massive global NGO, big scale stuff. Farm Africa, all our local communities. So that two sides of international development. And you thought, oh yeah, that's what God has been doing. How weird. Um, it's funny, isn't it? And I always think guidance... You know, we always talk about guidance and wanting guidance. It, it, it so often doesn't look like it through the windscreen, but it always makes sense, I think, in the rearview mirror. And there was an element of that. So, yeah, I feel I've been, I hope, set up for this, set up for this realm. I love that. And I think I can think of a few church leaders that we're connected to at Tier Fund who have also had um, trajectories that, w- that wouldn't have been extremely obvious at the time. And so how encouraging for them to hear just how God can piece these things together and actually bring about the perfect solution in your journey. I'm wondering um, what your advice would be to a young leader um, as they maybe embark on, a, on on their own journey or what would your advice be to yourself? Again, I'm not sure the best person to give this kind of advice. So I would say, you know, always hire people who are better than I am. Um, surround yourself with brilliant people. It makes your life so much easier. Um, and it's much more exciting that way. Um, build relationships of trust. Doesn't mean you have to um, always hang out together or necessarily be, be socializing together, but build those relationships of trust. Um, and that really will set up the conversations you need to have around challenge and conflict and, and wrestling with stuff. Um, and then communicate, 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 communicate. And that as I keep telling myself, although you might not recognize this, it means listening as well as speaking. Um, but, you know, over-communicate all the time. If you do that all the, in, in the most casual ways you can, you will have those really close, intimate relationships with, with the teams you lead. And I just put in to say, I think it is very obvious that you do listen very well to your staff. So I think just take that comment back. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful to uh, get to know you a little bit from afar. Nigel does regular Q&A sessions for the Tier Fund team. And then... Um, those are good fun and we all enjoy um, tuning into those. Um, you've had the privilege of visiting a number of projects and partners right across the world. And obviously in your role, you also have a very high level sight about what's happening on the ground and the challenges in that. Have you a place you visited that just captured you or just really captured Tier Fund's vision and values? Yeah, great question. I've got to be careful about favourite projects. Um, you can't do that in my job. People say, what's your favourite country? I'm not going there. No, that really is a very dangerous question. Um, but let me tell you a couple of a couple of stories that I really, I do feel sort of captures um, what it is we do. So our core work here um, is really around supporting, facilitating, encouraging um, the local convening, the local church to reach its local community, what we call church and community transformation, this passionate belief that we have as tier funds, that it is a local church that is God's best of transformation. It's not NGOs, not even this one. It is the church that God has chosen to transform um, the community to bring good news to the poor, to see the coming of the kingdom of God among those who live in poverty. So people say, well, that sounds great, but you know, what does that look like in practice? So let me take you to um, a place called Jos, uh, northern Nigeria. It's where Fund has its office in, in Nigeria. It's a tough city, Jos. It's had a lot of um, uh, interreligious violence over the years. Um, it's tragically had some more this, this year. Um, and I uh, was met there by the local Anglican bishop who had been Tier Fund trained and knew all about Tier Fund and had been through this sort of 
uh, church community transformation process, as had you know several of his pastors. And he said, look, there's this brilliant community on the edge of the city we should go to. So I went with him. Um, and we met Pastor Isaac there, who had planted a church in this community about seven years previously. And it's particularly tough on the outskirts of these kinds of cities because that's where people come in from, from the um, um, from the sort of rural, uh, so agricultural communities around. They're drawn, obviously, by the bright lights of the city. So you quite often get the most impoverished communities right on the on the fringes of the city, and that that was what was happening here. And we, he said, I'm going to, you know, come around, come around the, the community with me. So we started in the church. It was a pretty new church building. He said, this has been built by the community. And we hold a school for 100 children within this church. We crossed the dirt track. And by this time, we had quite a lot of the community with us. And um, there was a six-bed health clinic there, um, again, built by the local community. And it was pretty basic, of course it was, but it was nonetheless a functioning health clinic. There were latrines um, there for the use of the community where before there had just been open defecation in the fields with all of, you can imagine, the, the massive health issues that that would, that would create. And I said to Isaac, you know, this is extraordinary. How is this being paid for? And he said, everything that you see here has been paid for by the local people, by the church and by the community. And I said, well, you know, how can that have happened? Um, and he said, well, it's not overnight. You know, it's been a seven-year journey. Um, People give their time, people give their labor, people will give, you know, resources, you know, wood, whatever it happens to be. The wealthier members of community will bring animals that they own, chickens maybe, sell them very, very occasionally. The most wealthy people might donate a cow. And all of this has gone to create what you see around you. Um, Tier Fund was really brilliant in opening our eyes to all of this, to go through the training, but everything that you see has been done in um, communication between the uh, between the church and the community. So I said, well, that's amazing. How, how, what has this done to the life of the church? Um, and he said, well, it's really interesting. He said, when we planted um, seven years ago with three people, so we planted this church with three people. He said, we now got 170 in the church. He said, people just knock on the door to find out why the church has done this. Um, so we've grown to 170 people within the local community. And the local and the, and the Anglican bishop, bless him, was standing next to me, still in his sort of very formal um, cassock, and he was jumping up and down with excitement. And he was saying, look, Nigel, this is the vision. I want to do this in all of the 160 of the, um, of the parishes that I have within my, my diocese here. Um, so it's that, it's that extraordinary moment of sort of community transformation and also the fact that it can be scaled. Um, and, you know, that, that work is going on in, 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 in just now. So, you know, I think I've been to 18 different countries during my time with Tier Fund. And I could tell you a version of that story from every single one of those 18 countries that I've been to, um, where we, I have seen and listened to communities that have been transformed. It's the only word I can use by the local church. Spiritually, yes, we've seen people coming to saving faith and economically lifting themselves out of poverty and socially and relationally, and in this case, health-wise. And you've seen, you know, partial coming of the kingdom of God. That's the only way I can put it. Oh, this is wonderful. Uh, we just uh, spoke a few episodes previously with Ulan, who is involved in the Joss Green Centre. So she spoke right. to us about Joss and obviously a different community, but uh, highlighted some of the issues and challenges that they're facing. And she spoke about the gap between um, how things are and how things 
should be and the yeah. I guess that holy imagination that as Christians we have it's so encouraging for our listeners who may not get to visit these projects to hear from you about what it's really like and um, one of the things Nigel that I love about working for Tear Fund is that we have the privilege of working with people from all around the world and um, and when we spoke to Renee August and um, she talked about the impact of reading scripture with those who aren't like us and how that can change us how have you been influenced both personally and spiritually by working uh, I suppose with people whose contexts are very different to yours yeah, I I think in so many ways, I think one of the things that's most striking for me is, again, when I get to travel um, whenever I can, and we do this with the, with the local teams and with the local churches and partners that we work with, is to go to a church service. And I have stood and sat in church services in that are taking place in Spanish in Honduras or Portuguese in Brazil or French um, and local languages in, in, in West Africa, um, as well as, you know, um, uh, uh, more Anglophone um, speaking areas of, of, of perhaps East Africa. And, and, um, and at one level, we are so different and we're from opposite sides of the world. Um, and we speak different languages and we look different and our life experiences are so completely different. We are brothers and sisters. We share the same Heavenly Father. We have the most important relationship in our life together. And it's this, it's, it's an astonishing feeling. And it is part, and it has brought home to me what it means to be, you know, genuine, as I say, part of the, the global family of Christ. Uh, wonderful. And I guess that's part of the heart of the podcast is that we um, can experience a little bit of that connection with brothers and sisters from around the world as we've done over previous episodes. And it's been a real privilege. Uh, Nigel, you mentioned uh, about the pandemic and the impact that's had over the last 18 months. Uh, I think for churches here, it has uh, some churches have discovered a need on their doorstep, a local need, maybe for the first time, or at least it's become more real in some way. Um, how I guess, how, how do churches, how do you recommend churches and church leaders balance maybe a, a newfound local need, uh, but all, obviously the ongoing global need that the different sees and the churches see? Uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus locally and globally? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's encapsulated by the fact that the church is both local and global. Um it is local. We are as local churches, the ones that you go to, the one that I go to here in, in London, we are the local presence of the of the body of Christ. And I think that is the that is the power of the local church. That is why we have local churches, because we are rooted in our local community. And that's why TFN's church and community transformation model, I think, is so powerful as we work with churches to encourage them as to how they reach their local community, how they have those conversations around needs. All of our experience says it's the local people who know best. Um, it's not that the local people know their problems. Local people, in my experience, also know the solutions. There are just barriers in the way. Um, and sometimes there's a confidence barriers and sometimes there's a mindset barriers. And that is equally true here in the UK as it is around the world in, 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 in the places in, in which Tier Fund works. I'm old enough to, I've seen, I think, this shift in, my own church and in um, and, and, and UK churches more broadly that I think, you know, over the last two, three decades, I have seen churches really reach out in different ways to local communities to understand what the needs look like, to understand um, how we can serve, to talk to community leaders and to work together, you know, whether it's homelessness, whether it's food banks, uh, whether it's issues of addiction, um, 
Same in the kind of work that Tier Fund uh, does around the world. Again, working through churches, it's not for us to provide the solutions. Local people know those solutions. It's just for us to facilitate and provide um, and help with a bit of uh, strengthening of capacity. So I think the church is ultimately local in that way. But it is also, of course, global. You know, um, God so loved the world. So it's uh, the, the most macro it is, you know, the church is there as the vessel of transformation for the world, um, as well as, of course, the local community. So I think as Christians, whatever we do and wherever we work, whether we're church leaders, um, you know, whether we're accountants or bankers or van drivers or delivery guys or working in shops, we always have that dual sort of horizon of what is God doing here, where I live, with my neighbours, where I work, where I spend my time in my kids' school, and what is God doing around the world, and how do I hear that and see that? And the joy, I think, of being doing the work that we do at Tier Fund, that we work with the global church and the regional church and the local church, it's not them and us. I think that has been the joy of being in this extraordinary sort of Christian organisation as Tier Fund. It's not them and us. It's not us helping them. It's us and us. It's us working together around the world as Christians, coming together, brothers and sisters from very, very different backgrounds to say, how can we work together in partnership with God? That astonishing sort of call he gives to us to work in partnership with him and seeing that transformation come. So Nigel, I've heard you say that Tier Fund is a Christian international development agency, not an international development agency full of Christians. What is the difference? Yeah, I think Jesus is at the heart of what we do. You know, I mean, in some ways we do three big things that, you know, many big international um, charities, NGOs do. We do um, long-term community development to see communities and individuals lift themselves out of poverty. We do um, uh, emergency response to immediate needs. And obviously that's particularly sort of front of mind at the moment. And of course we do advocacy influencing. We work with those who have power, typically political power, to encourage and influence them to use that on behalf of the poor. And none of those three things are unique. But what is, I think, very different about Tier Fund is we do that with and through the local church, believing it's, again, that the, the, the focus is on the church, local, and of course, national. And increasingly, we're working with national level denominations around the world. And we've seen that happen in, in, in so many ways, even in COVID. I mean, just as an example, you know, in Tanzania, um, when COVID first hit, there were all kinds of issues about the way bodies were being buried. Um, and, you know, church leaders lobbied the government to ensure that this was done in a proper way that was both respectful um, to those who had lost loved ones and was appropriate from a sort of health perspective. So, you know, I mean, there's so many examples I could, I, 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 I could give of that. So for us, I think Jesus at the centre, our theology is at the centre of what we do. You know, we believe that poverty is ultimately about broken relationships. Um, you know, why are people poor? Well, ultimately, it's because relationships have been broken between me and God, between me and you, between me and myself, between me and the created world around me. And that's why we have conflict. That's why we have climate emergency. Um, and of course, ultimately, we want to see the restoration of those relationships. And that is God's mighty mission to, you know, as, as Colossians 1 says, you know, the, um, the restoration of all things. And so, it is that theology, it is that relationship with Jesus that is the heart of all we do and all we are, both our identity and what we actually do as Tier Fund. And that, I think, 
means that we have this claim that we are a, a Christ-centered organization, not a bunch of Christians who, who, who happen to believe um, that our calling is to serve the poor. It is that, of course, but it is deeper and more profound than that. We work that out through our theology and through our belief. Yeah, Nigel, um, you shared recently that um, yourself and the board had been exploring prayer and how um, reaffirming, I guess, our, our commitment to pray. What does it actually mean for us as an organization to be prayerful people, to pray into where we're going in the future? What do you think it means for us to be prayerful or even maybe more personally, how do you pray for some of these giant issues that, that we've, we've discussed? Yeah, so we, I mean, we really want to, you know, discern God's will for us as Tear Fund. Uh, you know, every board meeting we have. So when, you know, I and my leadership team sit down with our trustees and we look at all those things we should look at, you know, um, what's our impact? Are we delivering according to the strategy? What's our finances look like? What's our income look like? What are our investment plans? All of these good things, we will root those and spend time praying together. And that is cascaded all the way through the organization as, as you guys know much better than I do. Um, I think for us now, we are taking a little bit of a step back and thinking, you know, in a way, what is our long-term prayer vision? And as we really want to work with and serve the global and the local church, how can we pray for the church? How can we get prayer? Um, people praying for that transformation. How can we be a people and how can we pray that we are a people of hope in these really, really tough and demanding times that we see all around the world, um, uh, in, in, including here in the UK? So, you know, I think the, the the prayer and our and our prayer walk really again is at the 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 centre of 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 who we are and 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 what we do. Um, you ask a slightly different question as well, Chris. I mean, I think it is so. We want to think about prayer strategically as well as tactically. Of course, we want to pray for emergency situations. Of course, we want to raise this country or that country in terms of what it's going through now. And that's really important. And we want to bring that and cry out to God for those who are in pain and those who are in need. But we also want to really, as I say, discern and learn and work out and listen to God in terms of where is he taking us in the in the longer term? You know, what is, is his vision for, for this organization that is Tear Fund. And I think as well, we've learned um, to pray big prayers. Um, and, and that is still an ongoing challenge, I think, when I think, for example, about our teams working in, you know, some of the most difficult conflict situations um, on the ground. So we think, for example, around, you know, what's happening in the Democratic Republic of Congo or South Sudan or very sadly Ethiopia at the moment in the Tigray crisis. I think it's very easy to think, I want to pray for our teams there. I know the leaders personally. I know quite a few of the teams personally. I want to pray for our country director here. You know, I know that it's very challenging times. But I think God also calls us to pray into the really macro things, you know, be bold. How do we pray for peace in Ethiopia at this time? Can we do that? And can we really believe that God will move and intervene in that kind of environment? So, yeah, it's a journey, but I'm learning to pray big prayers as well. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, if supporters and people who hear Tear Fund speak in churches might have heard somebody say, poverty is not God's plan. You are. And that's the encouragement we give to supporters. Um, what, does that, what does that mean for you? Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a great statement. And I think what I love about it is I think it is the call to a response that works with all of those we work with. You know, here in the UK, we talk about a whole life response to poverty. 
Um, I've always loved that about Tier Fund's work. Yes, we do want people to give because we know that that resource can really make a difference. But it is not just uh, about giving. We want people to give themselves really in terms of this response to poverty. So um, how do I give? How do I pray? How do I live? What's my lifestyle choices? Um, how do I use my voice? Should I be out there, you know, advocating for justice? Should I be out on the streets, you know, around the climate emergency? All those questions, uh, you know, how do I re respond? Um, but it equally, I think, speaks to those we work with in our countries of operation. When I talk about, you know, those local churches, poverty is not God's plan. You are, you, the local church, you are God's plan for bringing that transformation to your local community in Cote d'Ivoire or Mozambique or Nepal or Honduras or, or many of the other, or all of the countries in which Tier Fund works. You are God's plan to address that. Um, you are going to be salt and light you are going to bring the good news of the kingdom of God to, to those around you. And that, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, Deuteronomy 15 is, is, a, is a really interesting chapter. It's again, touches on sort of jubilee issues and the cancelling of debts. Um, and there's, a, you know, verse 11 that, that is often quoted about, you know, there will always be poor people in the land. And of course, you know, Jesus references that verse. But then we hold that in juxtaposition with verse four, where God says, there need be no poor people among you. There need be no poor, poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. This is not how God created this to be. Um, you know, I think back to, you know, one of my very, very first um, visits um, to uh, East Africa. And we were visiting, there was a, a particularly uh, very difficult sort of food insecurity issue on the ground, hunger on the sort of, you know, edge of famine. And I was, I mean, really, this was pretty, I was very um, new to all of this um, space at this time. And we went to what in the jargon was called a community therapeutic centre, but, but essentially with a feeding station and the local population um, were, were coming, uh, really, really tough stuff. And um, a father brought in um, a, what in my ignorance, I uh, rather presumed um, was a, um, was a six-month-old girl. Um, her name was Batoni. Uh, her mother was too sick to make the brief journey, so her father brought her, and the guys were um, the the team were weighing her, and she was four point four kilos. Um, and as the conversation with the father developed, it turned out that she was nearly three years old. Um, so a clear case of uh, acute malnutrition. Um, my own two kids who are now in their who are now in their twenties. Both of them uh, weighed nearly four kilos at birth. So, you know, 4.4 kilos to be nearly three years old. And I suppose there were two, two things around that conversation. That, I mean, it's well over 10 years ago now and, and it will remain with me viscerally forever, really. One was, you know, how can we have that? How can we have that? That is not God's plan. That is not how he made the world. How can we have, um, you know, a child nearly three who, who weighs, weighs 4.4 kilo. How can we have that kind of malnutrition and, and hunger in the 21st century with all of our wealth and all of our sophistication? But also at the same time, there was almost a lack of hope, a lack of hope um, in, the, in that father's eyes. And both of those remain with me. And, you know, 
that is not how God created us to be. Um, that is not God's plan. And you are, we are on this call, those listening, you know, we are God's vessel. We, the church, are, are God's vessel of transformation for those for those situations. And, you know, the joy of this job, and obviously that's a classic sort of expression of need, but the joy of this job is to see time and time and time again the church bringing hope. And it is the call to all of us, no matter whether we, li- we live, whether we live, you know, in the UK, um, whether we live in, in, in the countries in which TF1 works around the world, all of us, all of us are called to be that solution. So powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. Um, You said a couple of years ago that conflict and the climate crisis were the two biggest threats to the development that we have seen over the last 50 years. Is this still true? And what do you see when you look ahead to the next five or even 10 years in international development? Yes, more question, Jenna. Right, let's see. (laughs) Take take that one off. so, so my my you know fellow leaders in 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 this sort of international development space are very much talking about three C's, you know, COVID conflict and climate and how all those, and clearly they all interweave and clearly they all exacerbate one another. Um I do think that the work again that we do has, you know, three C's as well that combat that, which is, you know, Christ at the heart of all we do, the church at the heart of the all, all we do in the community in terms of, of the transformation. So, you know, there's a tier fund three C's. But, you know, these are tough times. I think, um, you know, broadly, if you look back over the last 30 years, broadly, um, development generally has been a good news story. Um you know, maternal maternal mortality rates have dropped dramatically. The number of the percentage of people who live in absolute poverty around the world has dropped from about 35% to about 10%. Child mortality is, uh, from 0 to 5 has halved over that period and more. The last 18 months is the first time that I can remember when it's turned. And actually, we've seen tens of millions. At one stage, the World Bank was talking about well over 100 million people pushed back into absolute poverty because of the effects of COVID and its secondary effects. So it's not just the effects of COVID um, in um, some of the poorer parts of the world, but it's also the secondary effects on health. Um, Women can't get to clinics to give birth when they're in lockdown. So maternal mortality rates have risen. You can't distribute malaria nets. So malaria rates have been rising. So health and then, of course, economic effects you know, we've all suffered that, of course, and we've all seen the effects of lockdown. But for those who live in the informal economy, which is, you know, most of the people that TFM works with, so these are people who are going out, who are, you know, might be working on smallholder farms. In a way, the rural communities have uh, it's been a bit easier for, but certainly in urban contexts where people would typically go out, um, do a day's labour, get paid in cash, come back and use that money to feed their family. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, it's as brutal as that. There's no social, there's no safety net. Um, so these have been really, really, really hard times, I think. Um, so there's all of that. Um, and then I think, you know, we are in tougher times around the world. We've seen our own governments, whatever we, wherever we stand, um, uh, walk away from the 0.7 commitment. You know, 10 years ago, every single political party in the UK held that, signed up to it, was committed to development now we've pulled back from that and you know at the worst time when the needs are most we're funding less and that has massive effect in 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 many of the countries um in which we work um and of course one of the other effects of covid around the world and as the world has gone through you know these traumatic times is that you know we've seen again um uh some of the nastier more repressive regimes frankly take advantage of that and be even tougher and restrict opposition 
Um, so politically, in, in in many countries, these these have been again very very difficult times. So I think, frankly, quite a quite um, a scale of need and a scale of challenge, uh, which is in excess, I think, of anything we've seen in the last decade plus. Um, so these will be difficult years ahead. However, having said that, um, we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We, we serve a God who moves mountains. I passionately believe that the church is a message of hope. Can I ask you a follow-up, Nigel, just on the, the theme of hope? Is there one story from your time at Tier Fund that sort of encapsulates that sense of hope that you have and that enables you to carry on through these very difficult times in development? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I think there are so many. I'll tell you a story of an individual who I met in Ethiopia who'd been uh, who'd, who'd been in one of these self-help groups that I was just describing, and her name was Nagav, and she had three children. And this is a fifteen-year story, and this is what I mean. Is I think the kind of transformation that we see as Tier Fund is not overnight. It is overnight in terms of we're responding to immediate need. Of course it is. If we're doing, you know, providing water to people, providing, we're doing food security, we're finding sanitation, of course, those are immediate responses. But if we're doing this kind of long-term transformation work, it does take time. And Nagav told us how she joined a self-help group 15 years previously. And she described herself as the poorest of the poor. She described herself as not being able to feed her own children. Um, and she said, so in Ethiopia, they have the bird that's about 100 bird then was about when I visited about three pounds, it's worth a little less now, but it was then worth about three pounds. She said she couldn't understand how anybody could be rich enough to have 100 bird. And through a friend, she was invited into a self-help group. And at that stage, she was only eating once a day, but somehow she managed to save just a fraction. And we're talking the equivalent of pennies here. Um, and fascinating, she told us the first loan that she took from her self-help group was 100 birth. You know, having not, having not um, imagined how anybody could ever have 100 birth, that was the first loan she received. Um, and she bought a sheep and she found somewhere to graze it and sheep grew as sheep do. And she sold the sheep and she was able to pay back the loan. She took a bigger loan and her story went on that she brought, um, she was able to rent land to grow crops. She bought oxen, she was fattening cows. Um, and then eventually she was able to um, own a shop. Um, she even employed her husband um, within the shop. We fast forward 15 years to when we were talking with her, and it is 15 years. We were sat in her daughter's business, which was a small, little, tiny shop um, selling soft drinks. That was her daughter's business. Um, she is still working. She has two, um, what they call bajaj um, the sort of rituals um, like tuk-tuks, Ethiopian call them bajaj. She had two of those. That was her business. Um, all three of her children had graduated. They'd been through university, unheard of for her family. Nobody had been to that degree of education. Um, but all, all of her children had graduated. Her daughters owned their own, own home, she was telling us very proudly. And she used this phrase. She said, poverty has ceased. Poverty has ended for me. On this journey, she'd come to a saving um, belief in Jesus um, and she was now serving in her local church and she was challenging her own church and frankly many churches around she was telling us to, to set up self-help groups as well we should do more of these things she was saying more and more of these things so you know she became a real sort of advocate for that and it was just a wonderful sort of story of, of, of individual change that you know, I had many of these types of stories. And, you know, at one level, that that changes what I would call hard change. It's, you know, hard economic change. She has moved from a position of extreme poverty into, 
you know, a degree of absolute independence and poverty has ceased. But at the same time, there's just a remarkable shift in, as she was telling us, in her confidence, in her relationship with God, in a belief in herself as a child of God, in, I suppose, what in the jargon we'd call empowerment, you know, that ability to think, you know, I, I am in control, actually. I can make these decisions. I can change. I can change my life and I can help my children to have confidence that they can change theirs too. Nigel, it's been such a privilege to listen to you, such a joy for me to sit here. And I'm sure for listeners, they've got a little glimpse of that as well. Um, What struck me has been your your handle on the the big picture stuff, um, the sort of CEO things about risk and finance and all that sort of strategic side of things, but your handle on individual people, on communities, and your passion has just burst through the screen. So it's been such a joy. Um, My final question is, how might listeners pray for you for uh for tier fund but but also specifically for you as ceo yeah please do uphold us i think particularly i think at this time for our um for our country teams around the world um this is a this is a a situation that that we've never seen before we of course as tier fund do emergency response i said that and we're used to responding to you know emergency needs in some very very uh, difficult situations, but I don't think we've ever had something that we are responding globally across all of the countries in which we work to the kind of situation that we've seen around COVID. And of course, you know, our country teams um, are right in the middle of that themselves. We have actually, I mean, we have a, we have a, a wonderful trustee on my main trustee board who's, who's Indian. Uh, and again, who just brings in such wisdom and such experience from his leadership background. But he was telling us in the height of COVID in India that, you know, he, and everybody was in lockdown. So, of course, he was on laptop calls like, like, like we've got very used to. And he said, you know, I only go to, he said, I'm, I'm going to two meetings. I'm going to funerals and I'm going to prayer meetings. Um, you know, it, it was desperate times. So, you know, our country teams are not immune. They're right in the middle of this. And when we speak to them, they've lost family members. They've lost church friends. They've lost pastors. You know, again, a very a very challenging situation. So, so please uphold them. I think they would hugely value. Please pray. And for those of you who have, you know, as, we, as you see the stuff that we put out on 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 the prayer emails and elsewhere, please do do pray for them by name. I think for me, for um, for wisdom, I think uh, for equipping to do this role. Again, you know, we need to make. You know, my role is partly around sort of making choices and and trying to really understand where where God is taking us, um, both in the big picture, but of course in some of the more um, day to day decisions that we will make. So, I always ask people to to pray for equipping and for uh, for wisdom for for me and my senior team. As uh, again, we 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 work through these uh, these great opportunities and and you know how can we bring and how can we support the church to to, to bring hope to those uh, to those we work with. Nigel, it's been wonderful. Uh, on behalf of all of our listeners, can I just say thank you for your time and, uh, and bless you and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. Wow. Well, uh, listeners, I hope that that has been a blessing to you. It's been so good for, for Gemini to uh, listen in. Gemma, oh, I'm sure you've got a list as long as your arm of highlights. Give us like yeah. uh, a snapshot. I mean, that was just jam-packed. I think the first thing that stands out is that story of the woman who has who managed to say poverty has now ceased. 
what a powerful story. Um, and, and that's exactly what we want, isn't it, all around the world? I think another thing that stood out was when we were talking about the threat of the three Cs, so COVID, climate and conflict, but then also the solution then being Christ, church and community. Yes, and that is what we were about. It's beautiful. Chris, do you want to say something more? Uh, I use the three Cs quite often when I'm, when I'm yeah. speaking with people um, and I've never thought of Nigel's other three Cs. So yeah. that's just wonderful. I think for me, it was, it was as, as I said with him, it was his his handle on the on the big picture stuff, mm-hmm. the CEO sort of side of things. But they clearly knew some of those people by name. Yeah. And some of those stories were, as he said, just viscerally, you know, imprinted on his on his spirit um you know the young child and um, that he met the the father and the pastor mm-hmm. and whatever uh, and i think his love for the church he just loves the church um he he clearly uh gets out of bed every day for the for yeah. the mission and vision of tear fund um yeah and and for what the lord's doing in his own life and, and yes. what the lord's doing in tear fund so uh and you know uh, the listeners wouldn't know this but Again, just from having seen Nigel from afar, that's exactly how he is mm-hmm. in in other calls and when he's speaking about more important things, um, that all comes across. So it was really privileged to to be on the call with him. It was, and I guess that's it's so striking to have that level of responsibility, but yet to allow yourself to be so moved by an individual or a story. I think that's just. It's stunning. There was another thing that he said, just if I'm allowed, Chris, one more, um, about, you know, it's not only the local people who know the problems they're facing, it's the local people, actually, they know the solutions and there are just barriers in the way. I love that view of development and and putting the empowerment back into the hands of the people who are mm-hmm. living it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just think that's wonderful. And I mean, this is the whole point of the podcast, isn't it? That we can connect that sort of global learning. Mm-hmm with with local context and you know I, we both belong to a local church and we want to see our local church uh, step out in the community and meet needs mm-hmm. both both people spiritually to jesus and also all of the other needs that uh, are in their lives and i think understanding that and this has come through time and time again about making space to listen to yes. our to neighbors to to um, to understand what it is that they need and uh, to understand some of the solutions that has come through time and time again and we love the church in Northern Ireland. This is the point of this podcast. And, uh, and we hope that um, all of the episodes and, and especially this last one has been helpful in inspiring us to, to think locally as well as globally. Yeah. And on the global thing, Nigel mentioned our prayer email. So if you're listening and you're interested, head on over to tierfund.org forward slash one voice and you can sign up to receive weekly prayer points from around the world. And if you want to get back and catch up, if you've only just arrived on the podcast, I don't know how Where have happened, you been? but uh, there are previous episodes. You can subscribe <laughs> and uh, and download those. Uh, and this is the end of our series. Uh, goodness, and so sad. we'll see you. Um, it is sad, but it's been a wonderful journey. It's been great. Uh, and uh, all being well. If you want us back for series two, then get in touch <laughs> because uh, that, that's needed. Um, but it's been great. And uh, yeah, stay in touch and be blessed.